Well, good morning. If you open your uh, Bibles this morning to the book of Romans and turn to chapter 8, that's going to be our landing spot for today. And we're reading from the Christian Standard Bible, the CSB. So if you need a Bible, if you'd uh, lift up your hand and one of the guys in the back would be happy to get you a copy. You know, I'm super excited to be uh, teaching today. Danny uh, uh, gave me this opportunity to share uh, from God's Word. And uh, as I was getting ready, uh, I remembered when uh, Danny first uh, saw me in Panera Bread wearing this shirt. And he said, you know, when I go to these pastor's conferences, there's always some cool pastor that's wearing a shirt just like that. And I said, hmm, that's one for today. <laughs> there's a story reportedly from a small town newspaper of a young man that was uh, picked up joyriding around in a stolen pickup truck. He was picked up by the local sheriff, and the next day he would know his fate as he would be brought before the local magistrate. Uh, and as often happens in a small town, soon the news spread fast, and the entire town showed up, including the local media, to the hearing. Now, it wasn't the type of crime that drew such a crowd. Things had been stolen before, chickens and pickups, trucks and stuff. Now, what was so unique was that the town's only judge was also the father of this young man. Everyone wanted to see what would happen. And you could have heard a pin drop as the judge lowered the gavel and delivered his verdict. Guilty on all charges and charged with a maximum fine under the law. The courtroom erupted in chaos, and those that had gathered there barely noticed as the judge rose from the bench, walked over, and hung up his judicial frock on the wall, and then stepped down from his elevated platform to stand next to his son. Turning to his son, he said, son, as your judge, I had to charge your crime under the maximum penalty of the law, but as your father, I love you, and I will pay your fine. Romans 8. Verse 1, we read, therefore, okay, let's stop right there. <laughs> it's a short sermon. <laughs> no, because before we move any further, we have a question that's already presented itself. What is therefore, therefore? And to answer that question, we actually need to turn back a chapter to chapter 7 and verse 15. Now, I'm going to be reading from the New Living Translation. Now, I know you said we're reading from the CSB, but... Bear with me for a moment. We'll be right back in Romans 8, but I want to read because I like the clarity of this translation in this instance. It says in verse 15, I really don't understand myself, for I want to do what is right, but I don't do it. Instead, I do what I hate. But I know that what I am doing is wrong. This shows that I agree that the law is good. So I am not the one doing the wrong. It is sin living in me that does it. And I know nothing good lives in me that is in my sinful nature. I want to do what is right, but I can't. I want to do what is good, but I don't. I don't want to do what is wrong, but I do it anyway. But if I do what I don't want to do, I'm really not the one doing the wrong. It's sin living in me that does it. I've discovered this principle in life that when I want to do what is right, I inevitably do what is wrong. I love God's law with all my heart, but there is another power within me that is at war with my mind. 
This power makes me a slave to the sin that is still within me. Oh, what a miserable person I am. Who will free me from this life that is dominated by sin and death? Thank God. The answer is in Jesus Christ our Lord. So you see how it is. In my mind, I really want to obey God's law, but because of my sinful nature, I'm a slave to sin. Let us pray. Father, we've uh, come here today with a desire to know you in a deeper, more intimate way. We recognize our sin nature and our desperate need for your grace. So we pray. We pray that you will open up our hearts to your word and your word to our hearts so that we may be forever changed. In Jesus' name, amen. Returning to this morning's scripture, we continue in verse 1 of chapter 8. It says, Therefore, there is now no condemnation for those in Christ Jesus. Wow. You know, that's not just good news, friends. That's great news. Can I get an amen? You know, it's, it's, it's okay to be Baptocostal, you know, a little bit country, a little bit rock and roll. For what we read in chapter 7 puts us in a real pickle. I don't do what I should do, and I do what I shouldn't do. It's sort of like a cross-section between Homer Simpson and Britney Spears. I did it again. How many will admit to finding themselves in a similar experience? Paul ends chapter 7 with a burning question. Oh, what a miserable person I am. Who will free me from this life that is dominated by sin and death? But he doesn't leave us hanging. He gives us a name, Jesus Christ our Lord. Therefore, there is now no condemnation for those who are in Christ Jesus. And while those are such sweet words, it begs the question, but who is in Christ Jesus? Am I in Christ Jesus? Are you in Christ Jesus? How do we know? Which brings us to our first point. Those who are in Christ Jesus set their minds on things above. Picking up in verse 2, we read, Because the law of the Spirit of life in Christ Jesus has set you free from the law of sin and death. What the law could not do since it was weakened by the flesh, God did. He condemned sin in the flesh by sending his own son in the likeness of sinful flesh as a sin offering in order that the law's requirement would be fulfilled in us who do not walk according to the flesh, but according to the spirit. For those who live according to the flesh have their minds set on the things of the flesh. But those who live according to the Spirit have their minds on things of the Spirit. Now the mindset of the flesh is death, but the mindset of the Spirit is life and peace. The mindset of the flesh is hostile to God because it does not submit to God's law. Indeed, it is unable to do so. Those who are in the flesh cannot please God. You know, before God transformed me, my thoughts were constantly and continuously on me. Right from birth, my, my thoughts were, where I'm hungry. where change my diaper. where I'm uncomfortable. Wait, are those my teenage years? <laughs> I wasn't thinking about God. I wanted the biggest piece of pie. I wanted what my, my eyes and my flesh desired. And therein lies the battleground between our thoughts and our hearts. 
as the enemy bombards our thoughts with temptations and lies so clever that they sound like the truth. Like Eve, we entertain the thought, did God really say? As we try to justify our sins. Satan knows that you have a sin nature, and he uses it to go after your heart. But we are to set our thoughts on things above. Paul later in chapter 12 says, Do not be conformed to this age, but be transformed by the renewing of your mind, so that you may discern what is the good, pleasing, and perfect will of God. As the world around us tells us what to think and what is now acceptable in our modern age, they joyfully belt out the lyrics that they're on the highway to hell. It's very sad. The world fills their heads with idle things, spelled I-D-L-E and I-D-O-L. Simply put, garbage in, garbage out. But Paul tells the church in Corinth that we are to bring every thought captive under the lordship of Christ. It says captive because it's not a willful submission, but a purposeful decision. As the mind wanders, do you catch yourself saying, okay, Gary, bring it back, everything under your lordship, Lord, in your private time, what are you watching or what are you binge watching? <laughs> what are you listening to? Are you spending time in your, in your Bible or in prayer or in worship? Are you listening to, to secular radio? Maybe it's time to switch to a Christian station. Then the drivers that used to bother you in your morning commute as they cut you off won't matter so much anymore. And if should you accidentally cut someone off, well, as they pull alongside ready to, to give you that gesture, they'll see you with your hands in the air and you've got your praise and worship going on. They'll think you're crazy and they'll drive off. <laughs> Public service announcement. Don't take your hands off the steering wheel. Paul, in his letter to the church in Philippi, says, Whatever is true, whatever is honorable, whatever is just, whatever is pure, whatever is lovely, whatever is commendable, if there's any moral excellence, if there's anything praiseworthy, dwell on these things. Your mind will naturally wander to those things that you have exposed it to. If worldly, there your thoughts will go. The choice is yours. Contemporary Christian artist Casting Crowns has a song called Slow Fade. The lyrics begin, Be careful, little eyes, what you see. It's the second glance that ties your hands as darkness pulls the strings. Be careful, little feet, where you go, for it's the little feet behind you that are sure to follow. It's a slow fade when you give yourself away. It's a slow fade when black and white have turned to gray, thoughts invade, a choice is made, a price will be paid when you give yourself away. People never crumble in a day. It's a slow fade. Point number two. Those who are in Christ have the spirit of truth in life. Continuing in verses 9 through 17, we read, You, however, are not in the flesh but in the Spirit, if indeed the Spirit of God lives in you. If anyone does not have the Spirit of Christ, he does not belong to him. Now, if Christ is in you, the body is dead because of sin, but the Spirit gives life because of righteousness. And if the Spirit of him who raised Jesus from the dead lives in you, then he who raised Christ from the dead 
will also bring your mortal bodies to life through his spirit who lives in you. So then, brothers and sisters, we are not obligated to the flesh to live according to the flesh, because if you live according to the flesh, you are going to die. But if by the spirit you put to death the deeds of the body, you will live for those led by God's spirit are God's sons. For you did not receive a spirit of slavery to fall back into fear. Instead, you, read, you received a spirit of adoption by whom we cry out, Abba, Father. The Spirit himself testifies with our spirit that we are God's children. And if children, also heirs. Heirs of God and co-heirs with Christ. If indeed we suffer with him, so that we may also be glorified with him. As I alluded to before, right from birth, we come into this world with a, uh, with a sin nature. It's in our DNA ever since Adam. King David confirms this in Psalm 51, verse 5, declares, Indeed, I was guilty when I was born. I was sinful when my mother conceived me. We were born dead, if, if that makes any sense. Now, if you've been with us uh, any time, you'll recall when Pastor Danny was going through uh, Ephesians chapter 2, where Paul writes, And you were dead in your trespasses and sins, in which you previously lived, according to the ways of this world, according to the ruler of the power of the air, the spirit now working in the disobedient. We too all previously lived among them in our fleshly desires, carrying out the inclination of our flesh and thoughts. And we were by nature children under wrath, as, as others were also. But God, but God, who is rich in mercy because of his great love that he had for us, made us alive with Christ, even though we are dead in trespasses. You have been saved by grace. That's another amen scripture. You know, life and death are defined in God's terms, and they're measured by the creation's connection with its creator. When God formed Adam out of the dust of the earth, the clay and earthen vessel was still lifeless. Only when the Father breathed the spirit of life into the nostrils of man did he become a living being. Man was fully alive, and there was intimacy with the creator in the garden. But then, Disobedience brought on a, a new sin nature, a new spirit, one that was subject to the ruler of the power of the air, our great adversary. Man was separated and dead on arrival as he hid in, amongst the trees in the garden as God called out, where are you? And so we entered this world already on life support, but God and just at the right time, in sweet surrender, as he begins a new work in you, reading from Ezekiel 36, God declares, I will sprinkle clean water on you, and you will be clean. I will cleanse you from your, all your impurities and all your idols. I will give you a new heart and put a new spirit within you. I will remove your heart of stone and give you a heart of flesh. I will place my spirit within you and cause you to follow my statutes and carefully obey my ordinances. Jesus confirms this same word in the gospel of John 
chapter 14, we read, And I will ask the Father, and he will give you another counselor. Some translations use the word helper, to be with you forever. He is the spirit of truth. The world is unable to receive him because it does not see him or know him. But you do know him because he remains with you and he will be in you. He continues in chapter 16. I still have many things to tell you, but you can't bear them now. When the spirit of truth comes, he'll guide you into all the truth. For he will not speak on his own, but he will speak whatever he hears. He will also declare to you what is to come. He will glorify me because he will take from what is mine and declare it to you. Everything the Father has is mine. This is why I told you that he takes from what is mine and will declare it to you. You know, before God did this work in me, I was going through the motions. Before the spirit of life and truth came in and transformed me, I attended church. I went through confirmation. I owned a Bible. But I didn't know God. Not like this. Not even close. But when he cleansed me, when he transformed my heart, when he placed his spirit within me, I came alive. A light came on. I repented of my sins and I hungered and thirsted after his word and for his presence in my life. Paul tells the church in Galatia, the works of the flesh are obvious. Sin, excuse me, sexual immorality, moral impurity, promiscuity, idolatry, sorcery, hatreds, strife, jealousy, outbursts of anger. Selfish ambitions, dissensions, factions, envy, drunkenness, carousing, and anything similar. I'm warning you about these things as I warned you before. Those who practice such things will not inherit the kingdom of God. Ouch. Did you find your former self amongst that list? I sure did. And were not for his grace, I would have no hope. But the fruit of the Spirit is love, joy, peace, patience, kindness, goodness, faithfulness, gentleness, and self-control. The law is not against such things. Now those who belong to Christ Jesus have crucified the flesh with its passions and desires. But if we live by the Spirit, let us also keep in step with the Spirit. In other words, we must be intentional, bringing not only our thoughts under his lordship, but also our actions. For if Christ is not Lord of all, then he's not really Lord at all, is he? No, we are no longer slaves to sin. But until we shed these earthen vessels, these bodies of sin, the natural man or woman still remains. I caution us if we should come to the conclusion that we will be sinless on this side of glory. Sure, we will sin less and less as we are sanctified and our thoughts renewed. But I dare say, if you're not struggling with sin, you're not in Him and He's not in you. Why? For it's the very spirit of truth that convicts me of my sin. Absent, I pursue the whims and desires of my flesh full force. Eat, drink, for tomorrow we die. 
no guilt, no shame, no remorse. 1 John 1, 8 through 10 says, If we say we have no sin, we're deceiving ourselves, and the truth is not in us. If we confess our sins, He is faithful and righteous to forgive our sins and to cleanse us from all unrighteousness. If we say we have not sinned, we make Him to be a liar, and His word is not in us. Some well-meaning Christians may say, well, you need a, a fresh anointing of the Spirit. But I would rather say, you don't so much need a fresh anointing of the Spirit, but a fresh obedience to the Spirit. He's either in you or He's not. He was sent to you as a helper, so let Him help you. The question is, will you obey His still small voice or not? As Paul admonishes in Ephesians 4, starting in verse 29, he says, No foul language should come from your mouth, but only what is good for building up someone in need, so that it gives grace to those who hear. And don't grieve God's Holy Spirit. You are sealed by Him for the day of redemption. Let all bitterness, anger, and wrath, shouting, and slander be removed from you, along with all malice. And be kind and compassionate to one another, forgiving one another, just as God also forgave you in Christ. It won't be easy, but obedience is better than sacrifice. Isn't self-control better than having to say, I'm sorry? Which brings us to point number three. Those who are in Christ have hope amidst the suffering. We pick up in verses 18 through 30. We read, for I consider the, the sufferings of the present time are not worth comparing with the glory that is going to be revealed to us. For the creation eagerly waits with anticipation for God's sons to be revealed. For the creation was subject to futility, not willingly, because of him who subjected it in the hope that the creation itself will also be set free from the bondage to decay into glorious freedom of God's children. For we know that the whole creation has been groaning together with labor pains until now. Not only that, but we ourselves who have the Spirit as first fruits, we also groan within ourselves, eagerly waiting for adoption, for the redemption of our bodies. Now in this hope, we were saved. But hope that is seen is not hope, because who hopes for what he sees? Now, if we hope for what we do not see, we wait eagerly for it with patience. In the same way, the Spirit also helps us in our weakness because we do not know what to pray for as we should, but the Spirit Himself intercedes for us with unspoken groanings. And He who searches our hearts knows the mind of the Spirit because He intercedes for the saints according to the will of God. We know all things work together for the good of those who love God, who are called according to His purpose. For those He foreknew, He also predestined to be conformed to the image of His Son, so that He would be the firstborn among many brothers and sisters. And those He predestined, He also called. And those He called, He also justified. And those He justified, He also glorified. In March of this year, 
Sidney Ayo, age 19, of Coconut Creek, a survivor of the Stoneman Douglas school shooting, committed suicide. As I observed her beaming smile in the photograph that they displayed in, in the news, I saw behind her a statue of Buddha and a large gong. On her shirt was written the word evolution, with the first four letters of the word highlighted in the shape of a heart to, to reflect the word love spelled backwards. What was missing? Hope. Hope. She was a yoga, yoga instructor and diagnosed with PTSD in the aftermath of this horrific tragedy. Trying to find inner peace, I believe, alone in this world of suffering apart from Christ. I can't even imagine going through something so devastating as Parkland, seeing your friends lay dead while you survived without Christ, without the Spirit to help me through. For Jesus tells us in John 16, I have told you these things so that in me you may have peace. You will have suffering in this world. Be courageous. I have conquered or overcome the world. Those that are not in Christ, they're left to deal with the suffering of this world in their own strength, tormented by demonic forces. But we who are in Christ, the Spirit helps us in our weakness because we do not know what to pray for as we should, but the Spirit Himself intercedes for us with unspoken groanings. You know those moments? Oh. And He who searches our hearts knows the mind of the Spirit because He intercedes for the saints. That's you and I, according to the will of God. I certainly don't have all the answers, but the next verse says, we know that all things work together for the good of those who love God, who are called according to His purpose. That's faith. Absent, what do I hope in? What do I hope for? For the author of Hebrews tells us now, faith is the substance of things hoped for, the evidence of things not seen. After a forest fire... Scorches the earth in due season, a bud of new life pushes through the dirt towards heaven, and the healing begins. As we'll read in a moment, we are more than conquerors, but the victory attained when Christ cried out from the cross that it is finished does not necessarily mean in this life, but in the life to come. It's a nice scripture for coffee mugs and t-shirts. But what Jesus conquered on Calvary was sin and death, separation from the Father. What we could not do, Christ did for you. God wanted to make known among the Gentiles the glorious wealth of this mystery, which is Christ in you, the hope of glory. Do you have this hope? Finally, Point number four, those who are in Christ are chosen and holy. Verses 31 through 39. What then are we to say about these things? If God is for us, who is against us? He did not even spare his own son, but offered him up for us all. 
how will he not also with him grant us everything? Who can bring an accusation against God's elect? God is the one who justifies. Who is the one who condemns? Christ Jesus is the one who died, but even more has been raised. He is also at the right hand of God and intercedes for us. Who can separate us from the love of Christ? Can affliction or distress or persecution or famine or nakedness or danger or sword? As it is written, because of you, we are being put to death all day long. We are counted as sheep to be slaughtered. No, in all these things, we are more than conquerors through him who loved us. For I'm persuaded that neither death, nor life, nor angels, nor rulers, nor things present, nor things to come, nor powers, nor height, nor depth, nor any other created thing, we be able to separate us from the love of God that is in Christ Jesus our Lord. You know, it's a funny thing. You didn't find God. God found you. He wasn't lost. You were. But you weren't really lost to God. Ephesians 1, he says, For he chose us in him before the foundation of the world to be holy and blameless in love before him. The Hebrew word for holy is kodesh. It means apartness, set apartness, separateness, sacredness. In the Greek, the word for holy is hagios. And again, means set apart. In Leviticus 20 and 26, we read, Thus, you are to be holy to me, for I, the Lord, am holy. And I have set you apart from the peoples to be mine. Wow. Chosen by God elect and set apart. You know, I remember in school as I was growing up, I, I wasn't always this uh, athletic marvel that you see today. No, I, I was awkward and clumsy when it came to sports. And I certainly wasn't the first to be chosen for teams. No, not the second, not the third. Yeah, I was the last kid standing. But God, God doesn't look on our outward appearance or our skills and talents but at the content of our heart. We need to be set apart for him so we will not be set apart from him, which is death. Did you hear that? Let me read that again. We need to be set apart for him so we will not be set apart from him, which is death. The flesh naturally longs for the passions and desires of the world. But if we are in Christ, we're not of the world but have a heavenly citizenship. And James reminds us that friendship with the world makes us an enemy of God. That's strong language. But it, we are to be different and separate from the world. We're called a peculiar people. Broad is the way of the world, but narrow is the gate for the chosen and elect. Not my will, but thine be done, right? Just like the story of the judge, Jesus hung up his robes of glory and took on flesh, as it is written in John 6. For I have come down from heaven, not to do my own will, but the will of him who sent me. This is the will of him who sent me, that I should lose none of those he has given me, but should raise them up on the last day. For this is the will of my Father, that everyone who sees the Son and believes in him will have eternal life. And I will raise him up on the last day. Amen. Amen. 
We know that Christ has risen from the dead and has sat down at the right hand of the Father. As he said, it is finished. But in my heart of hearts, I believe the prophecy of Zechariah 3 gives us a peek behind the scenes of how those in Christ Jesus are adjudicated and stand in trial before the majesty on high. Reading from the New Living Translation, picking up in verse 3, it says, Then the angel showed me Yeshua, which is a form of Joshua, the high priest standing before the angel of the Lord. The accuser, Satan, was there at the angel's right hand, making accusations against Yeshua. And the Lord said to Satan, I, the Lord, reject your accusations, Satan. Yes, the Lord who has chosen Jerusalem rebukes you. This man is like a burning stick that has been snatched from the fire. Yeshua's clothing was filthy as he stood there before the angel. So the angel said to the other standing there, take off his filthy clothes. And turning to Yeshua, he said, see, I've taken away your sins, and now I'm giving you these fine new clothes. And then he said, they should also place a clean turban on his head. So they put a clean priestly turban on his head and dressed him in new clothes while the angel of the Lord stood by. Then the angel of the Lord spoke solemnly to Yeshua and said, This is what the Lord of heaven's army says. If you follow my ways and carefully serve me, then you will be given authority over my temple and its courtyards. I will let you walk among these others standing here. Listen to me, O Yeshua, the high priest, and all you other priests. You are symbols of things to come. Soon I'm going to bring my servant the branch. Now look at the jewel I have set before Yeshua, a single stone with seven faucets. I will engrave an inscription on it, says the Lord of heaven's armies, and I will remove the sins of this land in a single day. And on that day, says the Lord of heaven's armies, each of you will invite your neighbor to sit with you peacefully under your own grapevine and fig tree. Truly beautiful. You see, if we are not in Christ Jesus, our sin carries with it condemnation and a penalty of death. As the Prince of Preachers, Charles Spurgeon, once shared with his congregation, he said, my hearers, we are each of us by nature under the condemnation of God. We're not only subject to condemnation, but we are condemned already. And on the account of sin, there is judgment recorded in God's book against every one of us considered in our fallen state. But if we are in Christ Jesus, if we are made partakers of Jesus, if we have hidden ourselves in the cleft of the rock, Christ, and if our trust is solely in him, oh, precious thought, there is now no condemnation for us. It is blotted out. The old judgment that was recorded against us is now erased. And in God's book of remembrance, there is not to be found a single condemnatory syllable, nor one word of anger written against any believer in Christ Jesus. Glorious freedom from condemnation. How may I know whether I have been thus set free? This is the question that should enter into each of our hearts. The answer is, who walk not after the flesh, but after the Spirit. 
my hearers. After which of these are you and I walking? Are we following the flesh? Are we seeking to please ourselves, to indulge our bodies, to gratify our lusts, to satisfy our own inclinations? If so, we are not in Christ Jesus. For those who are in Christ Jesus walk not after the flesh, but after the Spirit. And every one of you who is fleshy and carnal is not in Christ, but is still under condemnation. So I ask you, do you have the mind of Christ? Do you have the spirit of truth and life? Do you have hope and a purpose? Are you chosen and set apart for glory? Has the Father turned to you and, and said, as your judge, I had to charge your sins with a maximum penalty, death. But as your Father, I love you and I've paid your sins. If you can't say yes to each of those questions, then maybe God needs to do a work in, in your life. Jesus says, come to me, you who are weary, and I will give you rest. In another place, he says, behold, I, I stand at the door and knock. If any man hear my voice and open the door, I will come into him and sup with him and he with me. Is Christ in you the hope of glory? Let us pray. Father, your word declares, therefore, there is now no condemnation to those in Christ Jesus. Thank you for doing what we could not. Thank you for your grace so amazing. Thank you for transforming our hearts, renewing our minds, and for placing your spirit, our helper, within us. We are dead in our trespasses. And like sheep, we'd all gone astray. But you, God. You made a way where there was no way. And those our sins were as scarlet. You made as white as snow. But Father, there may be some here that couldn't say with, with all certainty that they are in Christ Jesus. Your word is, has moved their hearts and they're reaching out. They're crying out, Abba, Father. They're asking that you would adopt them as your own by allowing your precious blood the blood of your son, Jesus, to cleanse them from all iniquity. They're asking for a new heart and that you would place your spirit within them so that now there would be no condemnation for them as well. We lift them up to you now and pray that you receive the increase, all glory and honor. In Jesus' name.